What's up, everybody? Fritz here. Just like to thank you for checking out this Coin Gamma episode. Coin Gamma, we're looking to increase our offerings. We want to help elevate the knowledge of blockchain and crypto in our community for our people. And so, for to do so, we want to make sure that we package it in the right way and have the right set of offerings. Therefore, it would be great to hear from you. You can go to coingamma.com slash survey. Got a real quick survey, about 90 seconds. Um, but it will go a long way to make sure that we offer exactly what our folks need, our people need. Again, that's coingamma.com slash survey. It will mean a whole, whole lot. Thank you. Welcome everybody to the Coin Gamma podcast, uh, where we break down uh, the themes and topics within the blockchain and crypto space and how it affects the greater world. Um, for those that know me um, and listen to my earlier episodes or even check me on LinkedIn, like you know that I am, uh, you know, I worked in the African tech space um, uh, a few years back at a company called Oracle TV based out of Nigeria. Um, my, I've, I've, my, career has been mostly in mobile payments. Uh, well, sorry, mobile, but the mobile in general. Um, so mobile, just mobile content. But what really got me focused on mobile apps when I was in business school was a platform called M-Pesa out of Kenya, which allowed people to text message money um, to each other um, using their cell phones. I was immediately enamored with it. Um, so as somebody was coming from finance and I was getting an introduction into tech, it was, a, it was a perfect combination of the two. Until obviously a few years later where I came across crypto and learned about that, which is obviously a super deep integration between finance and, um, and tech. And, you know, as I heard about crypto, first thing I thought about was like how, you know, difficult it was for the company I worked at to allow people to pay. Um, and also how, you know, the countries in Africa, in addition to the countries that my parents are from Haiti, it, are countries where they depend a lot on remittances. And I thought Bitcoin and crypto was a super cool solution to that, especially in the face of like MoneyGram and, uh, you know, uh, Western Union and how much fees they were taking. So like, as I got super deep into this crypto space. I always wanted to really understand what was going on with the adoption of it in Africa. And, you know, to that end, you know, I wanted to, you know, have a return guest, um, you know, Akin Sawyer, who, you know, who's, who's a good friend in the podcast and, you know, has broken, has, you know, you know, talked about this topic in the past, talked about projects he's been working on. And, you know, most recently, you know, he did, we just did a podcast around, um, you know, DeFi, you know, to kind of give us a, a lay of the land around what's been going on in the crypto space in Africa. Um, and for additional context, you know, Akin is a, is a, is a, is a proud native of, of Nigeria. Um, so, you know, he's, he, he may have, he may focus on that or, or give you the whole lay of the land. I'll let him, you know, take us where he needs to take us. But Akin, thank you again for being on the podcast and lending us your time. But you know, let us let us know like what's like what's going on in 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 Africa and crypto. Is there has there been movement? Is there any cool projects that people are 
are, are focused on there. Like, at least for me, the only project I remember really focusing on on Africa a bit was Stellar um, a few years ago. I don't know what they're doing now, but, you know, fill, fill us in. Yeah, sure. Uh, great to be back again. Um, so I think, you know, I think Africa is a little bit of an interesting place with crypto, right? I think you, you're having, you have a lot of users, right? right? So I think when you look at what's going on, what's been happening in the African landscape, there's been an iteration or evolution in, you know, retail focused products, right? So we have, you know, some of the legacy exchanges that have been really successful, you know, like Paxful, um, it's, you know, been on the continent for a while. I think it's probably one of the largest exchanges on the continent. Right. Paxful is great because it, it gives people many ways to kind of acquire tokens. It has a very big peer-to-peer -peer market. Um, and so they, you know, you can, you can buy tokens with cash, with gift cards. Like, so it's created many kind of ramps on ramps for people on the continent. And you know, I think deservedly is probably the largest exchange on, on the African continent. But then you also have, you know, other kind of more kind of country regional focused homegrown exchanges like, you know, buy coins is pretty, it's pretty well known in Nigeria. Um, Quidax, um, yellow card is an up and coming, um, um, startup that just raised money from, from the Valley, from A6MZ and some other folks in the Valley. So wow. you have a lot of folks who are building retail focused applications and trying to make it easier for the retail customer to acquire tokens, right? To buy Bitcoin, to buy other, um, on tokens. And I think some of the reasons why you, you know, you're seeing a lot of, you know, acquisition adoption in, on the continent um, is twofold. One, you know, Bitcoin and some of these other tokens give people a way to kind of settle international transactions. Right. right. So in many countries in Africa, like most of the emerging world, it's hard to acquire foreign exchange. It's hard to acquire dollars to pay for, you know, your car import business or whatever you're doing to kind of in international trade. And so Bitcoin has become a new way for people to basically exchange value globally. And it's permissionless. You don't need to go to a bank. You don't need to take permission from your government. Even in countries where there might be capital controls, it's one way to kind of get around it, right? So there are lots of people who are using Bitcoin as a way to just buy things globally because they have no other choice. Um, and I, I think the second reason you're seeing a lot of uptake is the speculative um, aspects. Well, the two parts. So there's a speculative aspect where people have seen, you know, people are beginning to see Bitcoin go up again, right? I think we're the beginnings of a bull market and other cryptocurrencies and they want to participate, right? They want to buy right. these tokens. We talked about DeFi in the last, in the last episode I was on and people, you know, there are people on the continent who are also buying these DeFi tokens because they're seeing the value go up. Um, so there's that speculative aspect. And then I think for, kind of tangential to that, you have a lot of folks who are in economies where the value of the currencies are, you know, there's high inflation economies, they're seeing the value of the currencies go down and people are just looking for a place to store their money, right? And right, right. people have been able to access dollars, which might be hard to get. People would, hey, I'll buy Bitcoin, I'll buy Ether and I'll just hold on to it. And, you know, they think that over the long term, they'll get a better return on holding Bitcoin than they would holding, you know, their currency that might be depreciating in value at 20% every year. I think if, if I had a currency that's depreciating 20% year in, year out, um, you know, Bitcoin looks pretty, like a pretty attractive bet. Um, no, for sure. So, I mean, that, that brings me to another point. So one of the things that 
you know, obviously Bitcoin has its detractors, many of many, many detractors. And one of the things is like, how can you have a, a currency that's not backed by a government? You know, it's volatile, et cetera. One of the main things I say is like, you need to remove your American hat from right. this, from analyzing this. Amer- you know, the United States happens to be, to have the reserve currency uh, of the world. And, you know, obviously through the Federal Reserve and all that kind of stuff, like there's stability. Um, that is not the case in the majority of the world. And Africa, to be specific, um, is super volatile, um, you know. And, yeah, so, like, if you're from a place where, you know, you've witnessed hyperinflation um, and you've, wist- you've witnessed the creation of new- multiple new currencies based on who's in government and things of that sort, and and that has been the case in the places like in you know in Africa has been the place cases in in Venezuela has been the case in Argentina and in, in a lot of places. Um, so like you would definitely like the leap from fiat to digital is not big to you um, because it doesn't take much for you to believe in something other than the fiat because the fiat your fiat has left let you down. Yeah. Um, so I think it's very very important for people to think about that. And obviously you know where, what everybody wants to go to globally is USD, but that's not always, that's not always easy. Bitcoin is, 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 is a lot, it might be freely available to you. And it's still, even, even though it has some volatility, it's not as volatile as, as, uh, as your local currency. Like, you know, back when I was working at, um, Iroko TV, the Nigerian startup, yeah, and Naira like was at a pretty solid level, and and the country was actually on a strong upswing. But the past couple of years have been really, really rough um, because you know Nigeria, like a lot, like Venezuela and some of these other places, you know, it's it's pretty oil dependent, and obviously oil prices have crashed quite a bit. Um, you know, and then you have like a huge um, you know youth unemployment rate, so it's yeah. it's tough, and the currency is reflecting that. So. I think, you know, those things make crypto, Bitcoin and, and the other ones a little bit more attractive to the average person there versus the average American. Yeah, I mean, and the, the, I mean, one point you brought up, too, is, you know, Africa has a, in general has a very big youth unemployment problem. Right. But you still have a lot of these young people who are fairly like tech savvy. Right. They're not right. On the Internet. You know, they know how to, you know, a lot of people are self-taught. They know how to get on YouTube and, and figure out and learn things. And I think people will be very surprised at how many young African youths who just have time on their hands are getting into the crypto space. Right? They're buying Bitcoin, they're trading, you know, similar to how, like, you know, I think there was a big wave of Forex traders in Asia. Um, right. Korea, like, you have a lot of crypto traders who are, you know, across Africa who are trading crypto, right? And who are speculating, who are buying things, who are on Twitter, right? A lot of the resources, and that's an interesting thing about crypto, like a lot of the resources to sort of learn and know what's going on are freely available if you go out and look for it. And if you have time on your hands, right? There are folks on, who are on Twitter, who are on Reddit, who are on the Telegram groups. Like, I mean, a lot of the products I follow, like every now and then I see all these Nigerians on the platform too. Like I look at their names and I'm like, oh, Nigerians are here too, asking questions, very engaged. And I'm often surprised, you know, initially I was often surprised, but it doesn't surprise me anymore because a lot of these folks have time on their hands. You know, there are a lot of intelligent people and they see the opportunity, right? There's no, they can do that 
anonymously uh, and privately. They don't take permission from anyone and they're participating. Right. So um, I think that's another reason, right? People have time on their hands and you know they also want to kind of gain access to the upside of what's going on in the space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. That's super interesting. So I guess, what would you see from a country standpoint? Like what, what countries are a little bit more advanced when it comes to crypto? What governments are friendly towards it? I do remember, it might have been 2018, that like, like, like um, Binance was pretty aggressive, I think in Uganda. Yeah. Uh, doing some stuff there like is like is it is that still going on is there any other co- comparable you know partnerships or, or growth stories there yeah so binance so binance entered africa through uganda um they're doing some interesting things there some also they're also doing some charitable work in the space there so uh, there's an interesting story of binance in uganda but binance also entered nigeria like i think i'm not sure if it was last year or the year before like time flies sure. but Binance listed NGN, so Nigerians can basically swap Naira, get on the exchange, and start trading Bitcoin, you know, and um, you know any of the stable coins on the platform. You know, they can jump from that into almost any token um, that they want. So Binance has made a fairly big push um, into the largest market on the continent, which is Nigeria. Um, you know, I think you know, the countries that are doing kind of where you see the activity of the, the same countries that have been active, like Nigeria is big, Ghana, South Africa, uh, and Kenya. Um, I think right. those are some of the, the, the largest markets. I think countries like Zimbabwe as well, out of necessity. Um, you know, of course. Like said, you know, hyperinflation in Zimbabwe, the lots of controls and being able to access cash. Um, and for lots of people, crypto is their only way, right? So. There's a lot of cross-border activity between Zimbabwe and South Africa, for example. And a lot of those flows happen with crypto um, because that's just the only way people can trade. Um, I don't know if a lot of people are too aware, but although a lot of Zimbabweans, as the economy was crashing there over the years, moved to South Africa. So there's a large diaspora community of Zimbabweans in South Africa. There's a lot of trade that goes between both countries. And crypto is you know, driving a lot of that exchange and, and it might be the only way that certain people can conduct business across borders. Um, so, you know, in the African case, like there's a lot of necessity that has driven adoption. Like, I mean, no one has any real issues like, you know, trading in advanced economies in the world, right? You can, you can get dollars, you can transfer money by wire. Like it's not, I mean, there might be some annoyances in the system, but generally if you need to get things done, you can. Um, but for many people in Africa, they just don't have um, any alternatives. And Bitcoin has been, and crypto has been the way for them to sort of get access to to trade. And so that really, I think, has driven a lot of adoption. And it's a lot of the larger countries um, that, you know, have a large population and, you know, have had a lot of tech adoption over the years that are leading the way. Right, right, right. No, a lot, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you touched on the uh, Zimbabwean population in South Africa. Um, and this is not crypto related, but like there's, there's, there's been unfortunately like some violence that's kind of been connected to that as well. Yeah. I think that, I think uh, people of Nigerian descent and some other, okay. yep. yeah, just, just kind of xenophobia that's happened there a bit. Um, and I, I guess, I guess as I talk about it, I don't know if it makes sense to single them out because obviously the xenophobia against 
you know, we're, we're both based in the U.S. There's xenophobia against Mexicans as well. I guess there's more people with a scarcity mindset thinking that the folks are coming in and working for cheaper, taking their jobs, et cetera. I guess that's where, that's, is that really the synopsis there? Yeah, I think it's pretty much like it's the same story. I mean, I think in the South African case, um, you know, the governments have failed, you know, the, the, the black South Africans. I mean, I think that's, that's pretty clear. And so you've had over the years, lots of immigrants come in, whether it's Zimbabweans, whether it's Nigerians, um, who come in and they come in with, you know, a very different mentality, right? They weren't under apartheid, they weren't kind of suppressed for, for years. And they come in and they see opportunities. And oftentimes a lot of people that come in are highly educated too. So they have the skills and they have the education where the local South Africans don't. Right. And, you know, we've seen this happen time and time again. I mean, even in the United States, like a lot of the first group of people in the U.S. are the first black people to kind of get access to corporate America or get some of these, you know, access to these jobs who are actually immigrants. Right. This was from the Caribbean or from Africa. Right. Because they came in, they came in highly educated. It was so like, you know, I guess the best and brightest from these countries are looking for new opportunities. They came here and they, you know, they, they got these opportunities. So we've seen this play out a lot, like in many other countries before, but that's just kind of the, the unfortunate story that's playing out in certain places. Right, right, right. No, good point. Good point. Um, no, that's super, super interesting. Um, so this is, this is a story around tech, tech uh, youth that have times, time on their hands. They are at they're in countries that, you know, the government has not been the most stable and therefore the fiat has not been the most stable and, you know, and they're, and and they have time to teach themselves and they're kind of adopting that. And then obviously the the second layer is people uh, moving things across border um, because, you know, there's obviously a lot of, um, you know, intracontinent immigration that's happening. Um, between the countries based on, you know, obviously just like everywhere else, economic opportunity yep. um, and being able to send money back to friends and family members across borders. Sometimes uh, crypto is the cheapest and the most efficient. Um, that's awesome. One more thing. I don't, and I don't know if you, you've looked at this, but like, you know, the story around the Facebook cryptocurrency um, uh, now called the Libra. Yeah. One, you know, there was a lot of questions around it, and I don't know if they were kind of they're leaning into this side of it just to kind of get it, or you know, help with the PR. But basically, the story is that they want to democratize financial access and inclusion, and they want to, you know, and that's why they want to introduce this currency, which is going to be a stable coin. And obviously, you know, Facebook is the is the owner of WhatsApp. And so, like, I think there was talks around, like, having, a, you know, some integration WhatsApp or whatever. I don't, I don't know. But have you heard any movement around that in, 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 in Africa? Is it still kind of like it's, it's super early stages or has, have you heard anything there? No. So, I mean, I think Libra, as it was originally, originally envisioned, as far as I know, is sort of dead in the water. Um, I think the last I heard, I think it's been trying to pivot into sort of more like a stable coin, so like a dollar backed or it's the same basket idea or dollar backed stable coin, but kind of a much more limited view on the big grand vision they seem to have. Um, I mean, I wasn't bullish on Libra kind of getting off the ground when it started I'm, and I'm even less, you know, I'm, I'm extremely bearish now. I just, I just don't see, 
I think part of, the, part of what I say, I just don't see Libra getting the light of day. And I think in the meantime, there have been just other options um, that have reached product market fit where, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's a need for, for like a, a, a Facebook driven currency. I mean, if I, if I was Facebook, I, you know, what I've done back then and what I'll still do now is just adopt and open up the platform to cryptos that have reached, you know, product market fit and have gained traction. Um, that's what I'd do, right? So you have, you have a bunch of stable coins that already exist, Tether, USDC, you know, Binance has BUSD, all these stable coins already exist and have users. Like, why not open up the platform so people can use these stable coins? So if you don't want to use crypto because you think it's too volatile, well, and you have regulated stable coins as well, like stable coins that are fully regulated, fully audited, fully approved by, you know, the financial um, oversight folks. You can adopt one of those and open it up to a global audience so that they can acquire these stable coins and transact. So, I mean, I, I, I just don't see how Libra or, or, or any sort of corporate coin at this point, um, I think it'll be, a, it'll be a stretch for them to kind of find, uh, find the market. Um, but you never know. At the same time, I think Facebook is also trialing some other kind of payment system already in some other countries that this is a non-Libra payment system. So I don't know if they've sort of abandoned that or if they're transitioning to something else, but you know, it's been kind of quiet from Libra for like whole of 2020. So I have no idea really. I can't really tell yeah, you. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I mean, I think I've seen, I've seen job posts from the Libra team. So there's stuff going on. Right. I don't know if the current iteration matches what they initially set out or what we've heard last from them. Um, and also like given that it's the election and obviously there's a lot of PR that could come from, you know, their input there, they may want to kind of stay under the radar around right. something else that they could have issues with. So we'll see, we'll see. Um, well, listen, I think that we could definitely just like all, all of our episodes, you know, acting your wealth of knowledge allows us to, you know, I would love to keep you on for hours, um, but you're a busy man. So, you know, we, we'll end it here. But like, if people want to reach out to you and keep in contact, how should they reach out? Yeah, you can reach me on Twitter. So my handle, Akin Sawyer, um, yeah, I'm on Twitter quite often, spend a lot of time there. So that's probably the best place to, to reach out to me if you have questions. Perfect, perfect. We're going to look to that in the show notes. Akin, thank you again. Thanks for having me again. Thanks. What's up, everybody? Fritz here. Just like to thank you for checking out this Coin Gamma episode. Coin Gamma, we're looking to increase our offerings. We want to help elevate the knowledge of blockchain and crypto in our community for our people. And so, for to do so, we want to make sure that we package it in the right way and have the right set of offerings therefore it would be great to hear from you you can go to coingamma.com survey got a real quick survey about 90 seconds um but it would go a long way to make sure that we offer exactly what our folks need our people need again that's coingamma.com survey it would mean a whole whole lot thank you